So I will say that yet last night I was a little concerned because I realized at post-ETSU fo football game driving to Morristown that I was a little hoarse. I, like, I didn't think I yelled that much, but apparently I did. Um, still feeling it just a little bit um, compared to usual. But I want you to think about the, some important life decisions that you may have made recently. What is the, mo the one most important decision that you've made? I see Ben smiling. There, some of us have made very important decisions recently. I feel like myself included in that. And, but I want you to think about the most important decision that you've made in your life recently. Like, why did you make the decision that you made? Because making decisions for your future is a good thing, right? But like one thing I keep thinking this week about like decisions and about important decisions is often I think we get too caught up in thinking about the, the present repercussions, the, the present consequences, the present good things about our decisions without thinking about the eternal scope of that, about thinking about how important our decisions are for the big picture and how sometimes a perspective shift is needed in the way we make our decisions. We've been going through Matthew 10. Go ahead and start flipping to Matthew 10, 26. We're going to start there. I had plans to do a lot more verses today than I'm actually going to do. So I, did real, I tried really hard to put all the verses on the screen this week that I'm going to be going through. There's a wonderful new way that we can do that, which is awesome. Um, but they all should be on the screen at some point, maybe. Perfect. So I'm going to read 26 through 33. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill, who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my father who is in heaven. Just like we talked about a couple weeks ago, Persecution is a very, very real thing. Persecution is something that is real in the world that we live in and will continue to be real in the world we live in. Sometimes it's more visible. We see sometimes on the news or on social media or various things about persecution all around the world, but that it's a very real thing. And it's a real thing here as well. We might see it a little bit differently. But what we've seen from Jesus' teaching, through most of Matthew actually, is that he's being very real with his followers. People that are seeking to follow him, he's being very real. He's not sugarcoating. He's not telling them, you should follow me because everything's going to be good and gravy. He's saying, you're going to follow, if you follow me, it's going to be difficult. People are going to persecute you. People are going to make your life difficult. And that's what he's been doing he tells them, basically, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. We talked about that earlier in chapter 10. And as we follow Jesus, modern day, as we follow Jesus, 
We have to trust that God is the one working within us to be making us more and more like Jesus. Tanner talked about this last week a little bit, that our hope has to be in that, that Jesus is making us more, that God is making us more like Jesus, to reflect that image. That as he is sanctifying us, that that's not our work. And we are promised that God does not forsake us and that he saves us and leaves us to become better by ourselves. We talked about a couple weeks ago when I preached and we talked about Romans 8, how in this equation, in this, it says that God, God chose, that God sanctified, that God justified, that God glorified, that in that equation, that none were lost. And I want us to keep thinking that, and that kind of like along the lines of what Tanner said last week, that it is not our, our doing. But that hope and that promise of something bigger can be found in these verses today. And before we even start going through these verse by verse, I want to talk about a word. There's this word that I think I'm also often prone to use, to throw out in conversation, to throw out in prayers, and assuming that everyone knows what it means. And I've heard it so many times, this word of sovereign. What does it mean for God to be sovereign? I looked up this word in Webster's Dictionary. Although I've realized recently I cannot trust Webster's Dictionary because it used the word y'all in its dictionary, and that is totally not a word, says my Illinois roots. But according to Webster's Dictionary, sovereignty is supreme power, freedom from external control, controlling influence, or supreme excellence. And we talk in a, when we talk about the sovereignty of God, we're talking about that God is in complete control, has been in the past, is now, and will be in the future, that there's nothing outside of his control, that he didn't create the world and then let it be, but that he is in complete control over everything that is going on. And what I want to do, just to make this point clear, instead of me sitting here and explaining it, I'm just going to read some verses. Don't worry, try to flip there. I'm going to read through them very fast. They are going to be on the screen. I gave Christina the mission to keep up with me this morning. Psalm 135.6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and on earth and the seas and all the deeps. Ephesians 1.11 says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Romans 11.36 says, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, For us there is one God, the Father, for whom all things exist, and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Very clear. Through God we exist. God is in control. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Our very salvation and our hope to escape the sin that is rampant in the world is in control of God, is in God's control. Even our salvation, John, John, in, wow. in John 6, 65, Jesus says, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by, by the Father. Even our, even our salvation 
is God's doing. We don't just automatically think of it one day, wow, I think I need God. No, that God opens our eyes to see. And with this idea of a sovereign God in place, that is what Jesus is talking about. He's saying, have no fear of them. Because he realizes how sovereign God is. Because if God is sovereign, then we have no reason to fear. I want you to keep that that in mind. That idea of God is sovereign. That idea of a God that is completely in control. There is no surprises. God is not merely watching from a distance. But that that there's a God that is in control. So verse 26 and 27. So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. There's been times where Jesus has has taught things to his his disciples. He's, he's He's healed people and said, don't go tell anyone about this. Don't 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 go automatically and go run and tell someone. He's been teaching them, kind of like internally building up his disciples, been teaching them, been showing them, displaying his his power. But what Jesus has begun to point to in the last couple, the weeks that we've gone through this is, he's saying there's coming a time when things are going to change. I'm going to return to the Father and my disciples, the people that follow me, are going to go. They're going to go. And as he's teaching his disciples, he's teaching them that they are going to be those ones that go. The Jesus, the way he's talking is, is, is changing because I think Tanner said this a couple of months ago by, by now, but that Jesus has already kind of turned towards the cross. Like he sees this as his, where he's headed from where he's at right now. But that we are to proclaim this, that it's not something for, to be secret. It's not something that we, we hold back. I read that in those days that if there was someone, if you wanted to proclaim a message, you went to the rooftops. That, that's how most government officials, how most government messengers would get out the message that they are wanting to get out. They would go to the rooftop because in a, in a small city, they could proclaim that. And most people would be able to hear that. But that this is the type of, type of message that the gospel is. That it's one worth proclaiming. It's not one you, you, we hide it's not something we just we sit there and teach ourselves, we build up other believers, and then we keep it to ourselves, but it's one that is to be proclaimed from the rooftops, for the housetops. And we're to have no fear of people that might hear. I mean, I, I think of Daniel praying and not, not worrying about who saw him, even though he knew it was illegal to pray. We're not worried, we're not fearing because... God is sovereign because God is in control. It doesn't matter who sees. It doesn't matter what persecution may come. But that God is sovereign. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. You see the comparison. It's silly to fear man who can, yes, physically kill your body. But that is the absolute most they can do. There's, there's nothing further than this. They can't, people can't send you to hell. People can't send you to heaven. 
People have, people, men, have absolutely zero control over your eternal state, of your eternity. But that God is the only one that is in control of this. God is the only one that is, is in sovereign control over eternity. So it really doesn't matter what people try to do, what people try to say. And there's this dangerous teaching, this, this belief that, that God, yes, is aware of evil in the world, that God is aware of things that go on. And then he changes his plan to, to account for the evil that's going on in the world. And that God then uses that for our good. But I don't think that's true. I don't think that God is just merely aware. I don't think that God is, is so small that he's just aware and then has to change his plans because of stupid decisions that people make. But if we believe that God is sovereign, if God is in control, if God works everything according to the counsel of his will, then is he not the one in absolute control? He's not just aware. But God is the one directing. The same God that knows how many hairs are on your head is the one who's controlling this. And I think back to Matthew 8 when we were talking about Jesus um, and the demons. How these demons, these people that they knew that they were at complete, they had to submit to Jesus' will. You saw them. They knew they had no power. They came before him and said, what are you going to do with us? They didn't even try to exert power. They didn't try to control Jesus. Jesus didn't even say a word. They came to him and said, what are you going to do with us? They knew their only option was to submit to, to God's control. But it's not just the big. That God is not just sovereign over this big idea, this, this, this eternal... He's not just in control of our eternal state. Verse 29 through 31 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even, your head, even the hairs on, of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. This here is part of the reason that we have the hope that Tanner kind of alluded to last week, that there is persecution coming. There is persecution that is very present all over the world. The things we hear about, the things we don't hear about. But that Jesus is not just in control of the big things, but he's in control of the small things. Sparrows, from what I read, were like known as like the smallest of creatures. Obviously, you know that's not the case, but they, that was often like the metaphor used as for like the smallest of creatures. Kind of gross little thing I read was that they were often used as like appetizers at rich people's feast. Sparrow on a stick. I don't know. Sounds weird, but that's what I read. But uh oh, what I hear? Whispering. Uh, but he's saying that Jesus is not just sovereign over the big stuff, but that he's small, that he's sovereign over the small things. 
But I want us to notice the wording of this verse. It says that not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. It doesn't just say that no sparrow will fall to the ground apart from the knowledge of your father. But it says none will fall to the ground apart from your father. God is not just sovereign sitting back watching and saying, oh, I am aware of the sparrow that just fell. But that God is controlling that. That God is acting in that. It's not just a knowledge. But if God is sovereign, if he is that word that says he's controlling all, in control, always has been in control, will be in control, then that should drastically affect the way that we live. If a sovereign God says to go, then we are going to go. If a sovereign God says to proclaim the good news of my gospel from the rooftops, that's what we're going to do. If a sovereign God says go and make disciples, that's what we're going to do. So often we feel like we've got control over these small things, over over things that we try to control in our lives, and then almost always when that what happens, as soon as you think you have control over something, you realize so quickly that you don't. Whether it's your body deciding that it's going to fail, whether it's a family member who all of a sudden gets sick, whether it be a, a job situation, I, the list is really endless. But the more that we try to exert control, the more that we think we're in control, the more oft, most often we realize we're so not in control. Most people at some point in their lives have heard someone say, accept Jesus as Lord. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. And while I'm sure that was said with the best of intentions, Jesus is Lord whether we want want him to be or not. That Jesus is Lord. I want to go back and read some of these verses again. I read them earlier. Psalm 135.6 Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. Ephesians 1.11 In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. He works all things to the counsel of His will. Philippians 2.9-10 Are they up there? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. See that every knee on heaven and on earth will bow. Jesus is Lord, whether we believe that or not. Romans 14, 10 through 12. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. 
For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Revelation 1, 5-7 To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming from the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on tribe and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. There is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And it says that even those that pierced him will know that Jesus is Lord. Even those that pierced him. And this is why we so passionately talk about Jesus. This is why we so passionately make much of Jesus. We always say we want to make much of Jesus. We want to talk about Jesus. That hashtag that we sometimes use, Jesus is better. This is why, because he is Lord, whether we want him to be or not. And this is why Jesus is saying, have no fear. Because it doesn't matter what people do. It doesn't matter what we think we're in control of. But Jesus is Lord. And it is this reason that we do proclaim Jesus. This is why we go and acknowledge Him before men. Verse 32 says, So everyone who acknowledges Me before men, I will will acknowledge before My Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies Me before men, I will deny before My Father who is in heaven. The easiest way for us to avoid persecution, the easiest way for us to live an easy life, is to deny that we know Jesus, to deny that we are not really Christians. If we're not bold in our faith, if if being a Christian is not something that we talk about, of course there's not going to be persecution. Of Of course things are going to be easier in the eyes of the world because Jesus said earlier, following me is not easy. Following me is not the easiest road you could ever pick. It's not the wide road, but it's the narrow road. Like, is the temptation to deny Jesus with our words? To try to go unnoticed as a Christian? To try to just go to church on Sundays and kind of skirt by the rest of the week? And to do the very minimum? Are we tempted to deny Jesus with our actions? To live like the world? To live like the world in the way we spend our money? In the way we spend our time? In the friends that we choose? Are we tempted to deny Jesus with our words? To say that, no, I'm not a Christian when times are tough. Is that that where the temptation is? I want to clarify something that I said a couple weeks ago. I mentioned this this situation that the momentary lapse of faith where maybe someone asks you if you're a Christian and then freaking out, you say no. And I was like, Jesus was not talking about those lapses of faith. But I want to clarify that just a little bit because if we are truly saved, if we truly realize the power of the gospel, if we understand the weight and the transforming power of the gospel and that Jesus is the one working in us, then we're not going to have a lapse of faith. Like if we believe that God is the one working, 
then we're not going to deny him. Earlier in Matthew 10, he says, When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. Sorry, this verse is not up there. (laughs) Um, Or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So we don't have to worry about what we're going to say. We don't have to worry like, oh my goodness, am I going to have a lapse of faith in that moment? Am I going to be able to stand up and say, yes, I'm a Christian when there's a gun to your head? It is the Spirit of God. If you are saved, that God is going to empower you in that moment. It's not something you plan for. It's not something that you muster up every, all the strength that you prepare for that moment. But if we are truly saved, if we truly realize how important the gospel is, if God is changing us and working in us, then we are going to acknowledge him before men. This is the hope that followers of Jesus have. This is why he says, the whole, keep saying, have no fear of men. Don't fear men. Acknowledge me before men, and I will acknowledge you before the Father. That God says, I am sovereign, that I am sovereign over salvation, I am sovereign over the sparrows, I know how many hairs are on your head. If we believe that God is sovereign, if that is the belief that we hold, then so many of our decisions, so many of our worries, so many of our fears need not be. Because if God is in control, then we don't have to try to be better. We don't have to try to improve. We don't have to try our hardest to somehow impress God with how much of the Bible we know, how, much, how many mission trips we go on, how many good things we do, because God is in control, that God is working within us. And that as we pursue Him, we know that it's only because He is pursuing us. That Jesus is Lord, whether we want Him to be Lord, whether we want Him to be in control, He's in control. That He came, lived the perfect life, and was given as a sacrifice for our sins. It is that Jesus. It is that Jesus that is Lord. It is that Jesus that is in control. And what I would challenge you if this is something you're like, yes, I believe this wholeheartedly. I believe that God is in control, that he is in control of my salvation. He is in control of absolutely everything. Thank God for that. Thank God that he is in control, that there's nothing that we could ever have done, that it's not something we muster up the strength. Thank God for that. Pray that he would give you boldness, that he would empower you to go out and proclaim it from the rooftops, whether that be literally or whether that be just talking about Jesus in your life. Whether that is that be just be being proud of being a Christian? Are you do you do you ever fall back? Do you ever say, "Oh, I don't want to speak out right now because I'm afraid of what people might think." That Jesus is Lord, whether you think He is or not. But if this idea is completely foreign to you, if this idea is so, like I don't believe this. I don't think you're right. I just challenge you. Ask God. Say, hey, if this is true, show it to me. 
Because if, if everything I've said is true, if God is sovereign, if God is the only hope we have, that we don't just try harder. Because if that is true, that is huge. That is the most important thing that we're ever going to ever believe. Come talk to me. Come talk to Dale. Come talk to someone. But if this is something you say, no, I don't think this is true, I'd love to talk about it. Let's pray.